Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Universities, schools, and centers of faith are giving up on knowledge and selling out. What happened this past week at Hamlin University indicates a trend in which an agenda other than the mission to impart knowledge controls what is permissible in the classroom. Knowledge is not a popularity contest. A teacher does not share information to offend or pacify feelings. A teacher imparts whatever they learn. They share whatever they discover and pass it on, be it historical, natural, or if it concerns faith, scriptural. Whatever they have uncovered remains, no matter what the students say, feel, or believe. That is why it does not matter when a disciple turns away from instruction. Like a 14th century painting, the knowledge in question was there before them and will remain long after they return to the dust from which they were taken. The Gentiles who seek to grow their universities have betrayed a sacred trust. In the book of Acts, the second half of the Lucan diptych, the evangelist does not allow us to speak about growing the church. Instead, he forces us to surrender to St. Paul's gospel, hoping against hope that the word of the Lord, not the community, will grow and prevail mightily. So long as our universities need students, or our churches need parishioners, there is no hope for growth in the knowledge of God, let alone basic instruction in art history. This week's episode is dedicated to the few and the proud, the teachers committed to teaching in the service of knowledge, not personal gain. Beginning with Professor Prater, you know who you are. May God lift you up and embolden you for the sake of the needy. Remember the words of the Lord's prophet. It's not you they hate. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 to 26. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 464 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We have been talking about the importance of dealing with the actual data, the information that is found, the information that is present in the text, no matter what I feel or don't feel, no matter what 
Dr. Benton thinks or does not think. There is something written. And I certainly wish the faculty at Hamlin understood this, and I wish they taught this. That's not the case, unfortunately, but we won't spend a lot of time talking about that in today's program. And with respect to the Gospel of Luke, we have this curiosity that has to do with the name in Hebrew, Shimon, which means, of course, to hear. The root in Hebrew pertains to hearing the teaching of God. In the context of Luke-Acts, a case could be made, especially with respect to Peter's speech at the council in Jerusalem, that it has to do with hearing Paul's teaching about the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, what's curious about that passage in Acts chapter 15 is that the spelling of the name Simon corresponds to the spelling of the name Simon here in chapter 2 of Luke. Two different characters. We're talking about a different Simon here in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, as opposed to Simon Peter in Acts 15. But in both cases, there is a unique spelling that corresponds to one spelling of Simon that appears often in the Septuagint that is a transliteration in Greek of the original Hebrew word Shimon. The other more commonly used Greek noun in the New Testament corresponds to the same Hebrew word, but isn't a transliteration of the Hebrew. Now, some would argue that this was either a mistake or a choice by a copyist, and you can have a discussion about manuscripts, so we can't rule that out or solve it here in 20 minutes on the Bible as Literature podcast. However, given the question of, as Father Paul would say, the concocted Hebrew language against the imposition of Hellenism in the classical world, and what's happening in the saga of the biblical tradition, and given the fact that this name appears twice in the Gospel of Luke, spelled in transliteration in the Greek, Simeon, which sounds strikingly close to the original Hebrew, and then appears once in the book of Acts in association with Simon Peter, when he is speaking in favor of Paul's teaching before the betrayal of Paul at the council in Jerusalem, it just raises the question that maybe the Hebrew transliteration is being employed in the Lucan diptych, Luke Acts, on purpose. We can't prove it, but it begs the question and is one more example of why you have to pay close attention to the original languages when you hear these stories. We have a scripture that is written, but that is spoken. The way that one receives scripture is through hearing it. The way that it's spelled and is written can be secondary in some contexts. At the same time, 
the fact that it is written differently, and there is a difference in pronunciation between Simeon and Simon. There's mostly a difference in the stress, and it's also maybe a conflation because it looks to me like there was before the Bible, the name Simon, a true Greek name that was not a transliteration of Simeon. So there may have been some confusion because if you have a copyist who hears Simeon, he may think he heard Simon because they are similar. The way that some manuscripts were copied, you had a single written copy at the front of the room, and then you had scribes around the room, and the person in the front of the room would read the text and the scribes would then copy it that way. So they were often copying what they heard. And you can see that in some manuscripts because, for example, the sound E in Greek can be spelled a bunch of different ways. It can be spelled with a yota, it can be spelled with an eta, it can be spelled with a diphthong of an omicron yota or an epsilon yota. And you see the different manuscript and you have multiple ways of spelling the same thing. So we know that there's some interference with way that certain sounds were decoded by people's ears into writing. But it is a question, why spell it one way in certain places and a different way in other places? In the Septuagint, it looks like the times where you find the spelling with the yota, it tends to be in the Apocrypha, whereas the other spelling tends to be in the rest of the Old Testament. I can't draw a conclusion from that, but the data are there to allow a story to be told. It would require further research, I think, Father, but this is a point where the people who are faithful to Scripture need to be aware and raise the question, even if they can't answer. They might have to sideline the question for the time being until they can do further research, but they can't just say, oh, it's not important because I don't know. That's a circular argument <laughs> that encourages ignorance. Say you don't know the answer, put it to the side, and we'll continue on. But you can't just leave questions like that unanswered or at least unarticulated. So we've made an observation of fact. Now let's hear the story and see if the context sheds some light on our understanding of fact. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The first thing that jumps out at me about this verse, Richard, is this word consolation. Now, an Eastern Orthodox listener will get excited about the Greek term paraklesis, because we associate the Holy Spirit in our tradition with the noun comforter, even in English, or comforting. But if we look once again to the connection between this term and the original Hebrew vis-a-vis -vis the Septuagint, it's not just about comfort or comforting. There's also a connotation of regret, as in being sorry for something and therefore an implication of seeking consolation. So, for example, in Jeremiah and Nahum, this term, Nahem, has an implication that something is wrong and needs to be rectified. So again, if we hear this, we think immediately of the famous Tarazian <laughs> quip of the Hallmark card, but that's not what this is. 
If consolation is required, that means that there's something disturbed. There's something wrong. There's something that we need to be consoled from. So the situation is a little bit out of order and consolation is in order. Now, this character, the one who hears the instruction of the Lord, which is the implication of the name Simeon, is righteous and devout if that righteousness pertains to the Lord, which I think in Luke we can assume if the Holy Spirit is upon him, it pertains to the Spirit that comes from above, we can assume that the righteousness comes from the Lord's instruction, and so therefore the consolation he's seeking is from the Lord's instruction, which pertains to repentance. So this is a person who is hearing the instruction from where his righteousness comes. It is the instruction to which he owes his devotion, and it is that instruction from which he receives the Spirit from Elohim for the sake of Israel. There's this conflation oftentimes between the Comforter and the Holy Spirit, which we don't have in this verse. It says that he was waiting for the paraklesis of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So obviously they're separate in this instance. So for people who want to say they're the same thing, it wouldn't make sense in this verse. So first of all, we want to separate those, even though theology might conflate them. What you commented on about the paraklesis, that we have this consolation, menahem in Hebrew, and in Greek, it can also mean lift up and encourage. Simon is waiting for something that's going to encourage and lift up Israel because they are fallen down, because, like you said, they're not listening to the Word. And we have this one who is hearing Shimeon, and he is righteous, Evlavis, which means that he is holding well. I like that. Lamvano, which means to hold on, and Ev, which means good. So he's holding on. So he is righteous, and he's holding on. And he has been waiting all this time. So the one who waits on the Lord often is rewarded in this way. There's that patience of the servant who waits for his master to appear. That's the servant, the slave that is rewarded. So he's been waiting for this consolation, interestingly. He was in Jerusalem, but was waiting for it to come to Jerusalem. So evidently in Jerusalem, there wasn't anyone to comfort them unless you were righteous and holding fast and listening to the Word. Then finally we have that the Holy Spirit was on him. Holy Spirit doesn't mean the Holy Spirit. There's no capital letters. It can simply mean a Holy Spirit. We don't know. We've been talking about this a lot. It's the same Holy Spirit that's been coming on to these other people that allows them to speak in such a way that is, I don't want to say edifying, but is an echo of Scripture, is a teaching from Scripture that now we have here as Scripture. So they speak Scripture in order to uphold the listener. So he is waiting for the paraklesis to come, and then he speaks, but what he speaks comes from the Holy Spirit, which we have as Scripture. So for us, this is just one more part of Scripture that Simon is, or Simeon, is speaking from Jerusalem at the appearance of Jesus for his circumcision. At a minimum, it's a spirit consecrated, a spirit set aside by God for his purpose. So it's a spirit that pertains to God's wisdom for his purpose. That's the lowest common denominator that you can assign 
to these two words, Holy Spirit, in the original Greek. If it's Kodesh, it pertains to Elohim's purpose. Whatever you say beyond that, you have to take from the text. But once it's assigned this word Agios, which corresponds to Kodesh in Hebrew, the only one who can set it aside as Kodesh is the Father. This is non-negotiable. But I think it's important to keep going back to that point that you raised. The article the doesn't occur in the Greek. That is something imposed by those who rendered this text in the English language because it seemed obvious to them. But if something seems obvious to you, that's the thing to question. <laughs> Always question the thing that seems obvious. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this word revealed, again in Greek, is not an apokalypsis. It's a different term, chrimatizo, which is more akin to an oracle, as though something is being negotiated or spoken. So here the Holy Spirit is speaking. It's not something being revealed. And I don't like the word revealed because it plays into this popular psychology of sitting at the coffee shop and listening to your inner thoughts and feeling something and then saying God revealed something to you. That's not what we hear in verse 26. A more correct translation would be, and it was spoken to him by the Holy Spirit. Now that, Richard, changes how we understand the function Holy Spirit in verse 26, because now it's functioning literally as an oracle. Words are being spoken. So it was spoken to him, an oracle oracled to him, for lack of a better translation, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So it was promised to him. The word refers to a message. He received it. He was a faithful servant, so he knew to wait on his master. Just because he heard a divine commandment doesn't mean it was unique to him. This is what comes from Scripture, and that was revealed he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's anointed. Okay, again, people want to make a prediction about the end of the world or what they're going to see before they die. This is only in the palm of God's hand. We don't need to get too excited about this the most important part is that he was going to see the anointed of the Lord. That's what the Lord's Christ is. Significantly, this is the day of his circumcision. So was he already the anointed? Was he already the Christ? I don't know, but it was enough because Simon waited. He wasn't going to die before he saw this, but why? So that he could speak so that he could speak the next words. That's why he had the Holy Spirit, and that's why he had to wait. He was there sitting, receiving the word, on my signal, you're going to speak according to the words that I give you. Okay, ready? Go. Here comes the circumcision day. That's what Simeon was waiting for, and that was Simeon's purpose. That's the only thing he does. He appears in Jerusalem in the story, he waits, and on the day that Jesus is brought to be circumcised, he speaks, and this is the point. So don't get excited, because whatever feeling you have about 
what God and the Holy Spirit are saying to you, it's not scripture, but what Simeon said is scripture. Now, what's striking about the Luke-Acts diptych and the spelling of the name and the transliteration in pronunciation of the name reflecting the sound of the original Hebrew is that you then lift off from here to Acts 15 and suddenly apply this transliterated pronunciation and spelling to Simon Peter, and you hear him talking about Paul's gospel to the Gentiles, the gospel to the uncircumcision, who are circumcised in the foreskin of their hearts with the teaching of Jesus Christ. They will not see death until they have heard the teaching of Jesus Christ. They are circumcised to the gospel of Christ. There's a case to be made that there's a link through the spelling of the name. Maybe not rich, but it's interesting enough to at least consider. If someone wants to take that idea and run with it, we would love to see what you are able to research and able to show from the data for the Journal of OCABs or an OCABs presentation. So please do the work, do the research, and let us know what your results are. Prove us right, prove us wrong. It doesn't matter. We just want to see you at the next OCAB Symposium in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.